0: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely that of the podcast contributor and not that of Shine or Sea Change.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Sea chain Sessions with a little girl. My name is Abigail MacDonald and this podcast is about all things mental health, how we can break the stigma, how we can normalize the conversation and generally just be a lot more open um, with our talk about mental health um, because it is such a normal topic. Um, This month we're talking about uncomfortable conversations, so conversations that people tend to veer away from um, and kind of shove under the carpet a little bit just by the way our society has kind of gone. So this week we're talking about hospitalization um, which can be a very uncomfortable topic for a lot of us and um, maybe we don't know how to talk about it, maybe we don't know the ins and out of it but this week we're going to learn a little bit more. So today we have a wonderful Sea Change Ambassador Sheila Norton with us and we also have Professor Jim Lucy, who is a clinical professor of psychiatry at Trinity College and who is also a consultant psychiatrist at St. University Hospital. and um, So thank you so much for joining me this morning. Um, Professor Lucy, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your role in St. Pat's?
2: Oh, uh, well, thank you very much for having me on and, and, and well done to Sea change and thank you for doing these podcasts. I think it's really great. Um, what I do, I'm a, I'm a doctor, a medical doctor, but one who specializes in the mind. And that's how I define psychiatry. And so I approach it from medicine, uh, from the care of the person. um, And uh, but I I am focused on how the mind influences that care. Mm -hmm. And um, I work in a hospital. I didn't always work in a hospital. I've uh, been a psychiatrist for nearly 35 years. So I used to work in the community in um, uh, North Dublin in Blanchardstown. And then I worked in the East End of London for many years. Uh, in the NHS and then I came back and worked in Blanchstone again and then uh, in 2002 I moved to St Patrick's because it had a a unit particularly focused on an area I was interested in which was extreme anxiety and forms of obsessive compulsive disorder and PTSD and things like that which I had spent many years researching both in Ireland and the UK so it provided me with an opportunity to do that uh, and then to care for people around those conditions. Um, as it happens it turned out I ended up being um, a director of the hospital for 12 years so I didn't do as much of that as I intended I ended up managing um, and now I've I've finished that and handed it over to a new management team uh, and I'm back looking after patients but in fact looking after the whole range of people who come Uh, so now I have a board and work with a team and we look after what comes in the door in our clinic and it's very much general general um, health care
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but 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 focused on on psychiatry so uh, I would have maybe maybe 20 22 inpatients um, three clinics a week um, in the last year I've seen 900 patients uh, it's an, it's a it's hugely busy uh, lots and lots of people um, and there's a huge demand so it's very uh, busy but very rewarding mm-hmm. um, and um, it sounds mysterious, but actually it's not. It's, 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 uh, I grew up in a general practice. My mother was a general practitioner. My uncles were GPs. Uh, and I drifted into psychiatry because it was the way I could most do general practice, in a sense, without having to leave the patient. So it became a kind of holistic thing for me.
1: Mm-hmm. fantastic and for those who are listening who may not know can you explain a little bit about what hospitalization is and why someone may need it in relation to their mental health
2: well i i see the word uh, hospitalization as being full of fear and full of uh, uh full of trepidation and misunderstanding but but i think we've moved sufficiently into a, a, an agreement that Mental health is a part of the community, part of our lives in the community. And uh, there are times, though, when hospitalization is needed in order to return somebody to the place where they live and work and love. That's where our mental health is, whether it's struggling or not. We live physically and mentally in our homes or in the city or in the town or in a farm or you know, in our community. And uh, we want to be there. But there are times when we can't be there. When it's just too much, mm-hmm. uh, too much for us, too much for those who love us, and when the skills required to help us get through a bad episode, uh, a bad time, uh, you know, need to be intensified. Um, and the great thing about hospital, if it's well run, is you can bring the best people together, and you can try and do that efficiently. Uh, it's not surgery; you can't go in there and whip out an appendix and suddenly be well in a few days maybe and um, but it, it is something you can organize and you can make more more available mm-hmm. so I sort of when I, in my time at St. Patrick's felt that we could change the nature of hospital into almost let's imagine it was a school school for wellness school for well-being. And sometimes you do need to go to school. I mean, obviously you want to you want to learn, but sometimes you need to take a new course. Sometimes you need to maybe intensify your skills. Sometimes you need some help. Uh, and that way, it seems that we don't see schools as apart from the community. Schools are in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I in my mind, that's what I what I always I was, I always saw it as. I suppose, in a way, I'm a teacher and uh, do a lot of teaching with medical students and nursing students and the various. And so I, I really saw myself as learning and in a place of learning and helping others learn. Mm-hmm.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. And I really kind of that's one of my loves for kind of mental health and my own mental health is that sometimes you think you know it all about the way you work, the way you take, the way you do things and then someone says something to you and you think well i didn't think of it that way or actually yeah i do work that way there's always an opportunity to learn about the way you work about the way your mind is and the way you can help yourself um so i found that really interesting um from kind of going through lots of different therapies and things like that there is always an opportunity to learn and grow and help yourself and and become a a more well-rounded person in that sense Um, I
2: think think that's exactly right. And I think the tragedy is that it's very hard to get that kind of opportunity if you spread it around everywhere. The beauty of community care is, of course, that it's near where we live and where we work and where we are. mm -hmm. But the trouble is, how can you get access to the new therapies, the new new, um, insights, the new learnings, unless you bring them together and make them accessible? And Dublin, is, well, Ireland is small enough to make it possible in a few centuries to have a lot of excellent things. And so you can do both. So occasionally, uh, and for, for some people, but a minority of people, hospitalisation is a good thing. The other thing about it, Abigail, is I like the old word, and it's an old word that's stigmatised. I like the old word, asylum. So it sounds a strange word. When I grew up, the, my favourite pop artist w- recorded for an al- uh, a label called Asylum. It's where I first saw the word. So I associated with those, with those tunes. But equally, now we see people traveling across the world, mm-hmm. you know, and, and rafts on rafts in the most perilous seas looking for asylum. They see it as a place of peace. And I think that in the world, we need to preserve places of peace that are therapeutic and kind. And that's how I see hospitalization.
1: It's very interesting. I've never even connected. I, I have the word asylum, and then asylum seekers, and I've never even connected the two before. So that that yeah, that's definitely something to think about. Um, but Sheila, I'd like to turn to you um for a moment. So tell me about how you became a sea change ambassador and how what brought you to this place.
0: Yeah. So um, well, my name's Sheila, and originally I'm from Wicklow, but I'm living up in Monaghan at the moment. I am a um broadcaster and presenter up here, um for a. Uh, station shannon side northern sound so uh, very different from the world that i grew up in i have to say but uh, love it up here um yeah i became a sea change ambassador because i had followed it for a number of years um i had started doing my own little bits online where i would uh, write my experience from the moment i actually went in uh, to hospital uh, my first hospitalization and i documented that all the way up to well now um and i am Three years, three years this month um, out, I think, of hospital or actually, no, it was four years this month. It was when I went for my first consultation to, and was then admitted, I think, a, a month or 10 days after or something like that. I remember it was a very quick turnaround. Um, So I always wanted just it, it's very similar to what we're what, why we're talking today is I was so terrified. I hadn't a clue what was before me. Nobody would tell me. Um, I understand the reasons behind some of that, because when you're going into an eating disorder unit, some things are better left untold. But there were things I really would have liked to be prepared for, even to the point of like, well, what do I bring with me? Um, so when conversations like this can happen, uh, I, I just think it would help anybody who's on that journey. I also help want to help people like identify it sooner. Like I knew nobody um, that, that had an eating disorder. I now know I knew a number of people, but nobody talked about it. Um, and so and one friend of mine pulled me aside and said that she thought that I was unwell and she had been through hospital and she thought this might be the route that I would end up down and only for her was when I started to believe oh maybe I am worthy of getting an intervention or more help so I hope that I can do that hopefully for someone.
1: That was actually it's funny that you mentioned that kind of being worthy of of help or this thing of being sick enough um, and this was the thing that really, really affected me even being in hospital thinking I'm not, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not sick enough to be here, even though I I very much did needed the help. That was a huge thing that was on my mind enough. And I think that plays with a lot of people, um, especially in terms of if you're feeling that kind of self-loathing that comes with a lot of different mental illnesses that you automatically think, well, I don't deserve to be here. There's people more worthy than me. Um, And that's, that's a huge thing that a lot of people do experience. But Sheila, from your experience, how would you describe being, Um, hospitalized with a mental illness for someone who has never kind of experienced it before
0: it's a very um overwhelming feeling and you are torn between two sides of yourself so i always say that my eating disorder voice is called janine i named her while i was in hospital and um i sheila wanted help i really really did and i believed that i was ready but the other side of me thought I can't go into hospital I can't go in there because they'll make me do things that I don't want to do mm-hmm. Um, they're going to take this part of me away that I have depended on for so long and do I really want them to take it away from me like is it really that bad to live like this and so I constantly had this pull but yet I also had my dad putting me in a car and driving me there so I knew it was happening and I remembered the morning I got the call from my consultant and she said we actually have a bed free now it's sooner than expected. I went into my younger sister and I lay in her bed and cried because I knew something was going to happen but I just really didn't know what and when I was packing my bags to go I had a suitcase and my dad turned to me and said you're not going on holidays why do you need that much. And I lost it. And and we always remember this day where I took all my stuff, I threw it out of the bag and I just said, I don't know what I'm going into. So I, I could be going on a holiday. Like it was this kind of thing of, I just really didn't know what was before me. So uh, I suppose that's the first thing is like, if, if people could maybe have a better understanding of what's going to happen when they get in there. So then when I did go in, obviously I had to go through the assessments and um, I remember they take your photo and I was here crying, had a big red nose, <laughs> awful eyes. And I was like, I never want to see that picture ever again.
1: <laughs> and
0: um, then I think it's all just so surreal. Like it's like the biggest blur. I can remember it so clearly, but now looking back on it that very first day, uh, it feels like it didn't happen to me. Um, but I do remember going in and that first entry in my diary, I wanted to keep a diary every day so that in a few years time, hopefully I can look back in it and be like, wow, I've come so far. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking, I don't know if I want to keep going if I have to go through this. And if I just discharge myself, maybe I can just find somewhere to rent and live. And I started creating all these ideas because it's all so overwhelming. But for anybody who has never experienced it, and I, I always compare it to. I, I had a pain in my tummy uh, once and it was got so bad, excruciatingly bad. And I was crying in the doctor's surgery and they said, you're just going to have to go to Nice General, Like you're going to have to go to get that, get an X-ray on that. And I was like, grand went straight in and not a bother because it became too much for me to bear mm-hmm. it was the exact same thing of like people were like oh she must be really sick it just became too much for me to bear I couldn't handle life on my own anymore and as much as I didn't want to go in it was what was needed so I suppose that's if for anybody it's like when it just becomes too much it's okay to go to hospital you'd go get an x-ray so why not go and get that mental help
1: yeah yeah Definitely. And that was kind of the same for me as well. I was just like, I need to be looked after by other people right now. I need to have a break from having so much pressure on myself to keep everything kind of going and in rotation. I just need a team as uh, Professor Lucy was saying, I need a team from every sort of different angle to look at me and say, okay, maybe this is where we can go from here. Um, but Professor Lucy, I'd like to talk about kind of some of the misconceptions people have about hospitalization. What do you think some of those are? I
2: think a lot of them are, are are reasonable in terms of fears and um, they're not i hope correct in terms of the reality but we have to understand that people are frightened of asylum um, and and the, the history in ireland is uh, is one of of having one of these big houses on the hill outside every town um of a time when i grew up when um you know two percent of the population were in in these places mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, it, it, one in every fifty was in a place like this, and 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 people didn't come out. Um, but it's it, it's funny how these cultural memories um, they, they persist very uh, very 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 long. You know that has not been the case for many many years. Now it's very hard to find a bed in a mental health service. And uh, the biggest problem I get is people saying to me, "When can I get in? How can I get a, a service?" Um, the other misconception is that the experience will be terribly grim and will be unpleasant, whereas actually um, I, I, where these are very serious illnesses and, and and there are lots of issues like medication and, uh, and restraint, and these things that need to be spoken about, actually I encourage people to come into our hospital and hospitals like it, you know, have lunch there. Um, in pre-COVID days we used to have shows and lots of events and um, uh, concerts and, uh, you know, put exhibitions on. All of this was in an effort to overcome the real thing, which is called stigma, which is what this effort, uh, Abigail, is all about, what Sea Change is all about, which is overcoming the mark of fear, the mark of shame, the mark of hopelessness. Uh, whereas actually, uh, and going back to my experiences in general practice, I see more people recovering, Every day than most GPs do, than most people do, because people get well with with mental health care if it's it's given at the right time, early enough, as Sheila says, if it's given well, if it's given with um, dignity, uh, if it's given with kindness, uh, if it's given as a partnership, as a team. And I think the modern ambitions of uh, sea change, the modern ambitions of the, the, the current Um, understanding of mental health care you know aims for all those things we haven't got there but it's far better than the fear mm-hmm. now the, there, there are plenty of bad experiences and those bad experiences do blot out many of the good experiences because stigma means that very few people want to tell about their good experiences equally there is there, there are things to be said that you know, are are difficult, uncomfortable. This is a a theme about being uncomfortable. So I'm going to say something that's uncomfortable for for me, and that's that of the 63 mental health centres admission places in the country, the vast majority do not meet minimum standards. And the standard setting is there by the the, the likes of the Mental Health Commission and the inspectorates and the governments and, and the great and the good. And it's not right for people that they should be expected to go to places that the regulator does not find meets minimum standards. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame for us. So I'm really keen on working, working with the commission and working with, with um, volunteers and, 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 and service users to make sure that that shame ends because they are much better than they were. People come and get better. And there's great treatment and I would have said a universality of the standard of content of clinical care. You know the nursing is excellent and right across the board the professions there are really good and people are really good here. People come across here from across the world and they find it's amazing the atmosphere in places is much better than they experience in, their, in other countries. But, but the minimum standards are not being met in the vast majority of these and that makes me very uncomfortable. So when I'm here saying hospitalization isn't as bad as you fear I want to tell the truth Mm -hmm. the truth is it should be a lot better than it is yeah and that's uncomfortable for me so if we get to say uncomfortable things I suppose I have to say it comes and it is not good enough so I would love if people were saying no no let's make the hospitalization experience as as rare as it needs to be but much better than it has been for so many and we need to campaign for that and make sure that it is good, that you get access to the therapies and that you get access to the recoveries quickly, and that you aren't struggling to get in when you need to, like Sheila did.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate, I really, really appreciate your honesty there, because it's it's rare, from my opinion, it's rare to see a professional saying that things aren't as good as it should be, you know, um, and I, I really do appreciate your honesty, because things do need to be a lot better. There needs to be more services in terms of there should be a mental health hospital for every host, general hospital <laughs> in, yeah. in the country, you know? There's far too many people waiting. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, I think that will mean a lot to a lot to a lot of people out there. And but Sheila, what sort of misconceptions did you have about going into hospital? What were sort of the kind of thoughts you thought, okay, this is gonna happen to me and then realized actually it's very different?
0: Um. And I'd love to come back to just some of the being uncomfortable with some of the experiences as well there, because there was just a few things that I'd love to share. But my misconceptions were I had this idea of, you know, like zombies walking around like nobody is happy and everything is awful. And we're actually not allowed to be happy and we have to be sad all the time because we're going through this awful thing. And I I say that and it sounds silly, but it is how I felt. I felt like I'm going to have to be not Sheila in here. Because Sheila is perky and outgoing and what she's going through is, is really awful. And should I make a joke about eating disorders in front of girls who are also going through eating disorders? Mm-hmm. Like I was like, but that's what I do with my friends. But mm-hmm. you have this idea of, well, I can't be myself here. Um, and then you also, I, I had this, mine was very specific too. I was like, they're going to feed me the biggest meals in the world. I was like, like, I'm going to get a a Christmas feast every day. And, you know, my big that were my biggest fears and that they were going to totally ignore um, that, you know, my body wasn't ready for this yet and had gone through so much. And, you know, I I just had everything was a catastrophe and everything was massive. And that I physically wouldn't get through not being able to exercise. I knew they'd take that away from me and like that. I wouldn't get through this. And that was my. That was my fear. But also my fear was that I'd be looking around at these people like who I don't know, were, were like tied up in things or like who were being, you know, guided around by people. And I'd like to say that does happen. I was a and this is another issue I have. I was a level two. So I was a number um, and because I was a level two, I got guided by someone everywhere that does happen but to be honest it was because they knew well I was going to that garden to run around and do laps of it so like it was for my best interest (laughs) but like you know it's not what you think it's going to be when they say we'll bring you down to bingo you're like all right okay grand it's not like this thing of like where is Sheila at this exact moment we must have eyes on her at all times Mm -hmm. um now I know it's it depends on severity and the illness but for me all of those fears were not the case and also at times yes I heard screaming and shouting out in the courtyard while I was in bed or whatever but that is not constant that is not all day and and that I also would just like to say, there's misconceptions when you are in hospital as well, based on what ward you're on. So it's, you know, it's like, well, which ward are you in? Oh, I'm in the, and I won't say the name of the ward because then they'll know, but I'm in the ED ward. And it's, oh, right. Okay. mm. And then it was like, well, where are you? And I'm in such and such. Oh, that's the high security one. How are you out? You know, like there's even that kind of misconception within people who are there. you know when you're like, it's like I live in the nice part of the estate and you live in the bad part. It's it's that is in hospital as well. So that needs to be broken down because those people are just trying to get help, just like you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um to just slightly touch on the uncomfortable side of things, like I had very mixed experience. Um, so I was in for five weeks at first, and then was discharged, but was discharged very suddenly. Um, and wasn't ready. And they told my parents, you know, well, if she wants to die, you can't stop her. Um, but that was a very like dramatic way to be told you're being discharged. And they so said, sorry to hear that. First of all, <laughs> and they said when she hits rock bottom, she can maybe come back. And so we had to just wait for me to hit that, and then I did, and then I was back in for twelve weeks, and within that time. While actually I found the, there was a nurses from the anxiety ward who came up as like stand-ins because there's never enough staff um, to fill the uh, to fill the ED ward at the time. And they were the ones that were so helpful and helped me get over the anxiety of the food. However, the nurses who were meant to be the ones that were education, eating disorders, I had one say to me, oh, you're so in proportion. I had another ask, could she weigh me in the hall? Um, I had... I I one night begged to use the bathroom after a meal uh, because I really needed to go and was told, no, you know, the bathrooms aren't open for half an hour. And I had an accident at 23 years of age and then was told you should have told me it was that bad. So there's an awful lot of things that I was told. And then because I was writing on Instagram, I was pulled by my consultant and asked to stop writing things online because it wasn't helpful. So I went to the girls in the ward because it was all girls at the time. there was only six. And I said, Are any of you uncomfortable with me doing this? Because then I'll stop. I Mm -hmm. won't write. And I don't write about anybody else other than me. But Mm -hmm. I said, I won't write if it's affecting you. And I'm so sorry if it is. I said, please tell me. And they all said, no, we like what you're doing because we're not brave enough to do it. So the consultant didn't want me sharing what was going on in the hospital. And I just felt that's the problem. We're not okay with talking about I'm getting my bloods done or I get my bloods done every day or, you know, a nurse, didn't speak to me in the right way I was left crying in my room one night and my my girl in the ward had to come and and make sure I was all right Mm -hmm. these things aren't okay and they're why that um those misconceptions are out there so I think some of the misconceptions are wrong but they're are still issues within the system Mm
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's very important to to call these things out because change doesn't happen if you kind of sit around and, and let those things happen. Um, and I know that people do have, some people, as you were saying, do have really, really good experiences where they, they get all the right people and it's, it's perfect. And then sometimes you do have that one little comment said or those little actions done. And maybe it won't make a big difference to someone who is kind of mentally stable at that time, but to someone who is going through so much... If someone said boo to me when I was in the hospital, it would have been like a really big deal, you know, because I was like you, already. You mentioned
0: there the um, uh, or no, I can't even remember what what it was, but um, it, it, when the nurse said to me, "You're so in proportion," that was it. It was I already felt like I wasn't worthy of help, and now I'm. And I was saying to my parents, "I'm not thin enough to be in here. I'm not thin enough to be in here. Look at her. Look at her." And my dad was saying, "Oh my God, sit down in that bed and stop and then next thing the nurse goes, "You're very in proportion, and I go, "Oh my God, get me out, yeah, I yeah, shouldn't yeah. be here." you know, so it doesn't help if like if maybe if the 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 professionals listened to us just sometimes like I was like, I know what I need. I can tell you if you listen to me, you know,
1: yeah." Definitely. And I think that's that's really important. Um, and I'm sure you'll agree, Professor Lucy, that the collaboration is is a huge part of being in hospital in terms of the service user and, and the team as well. Can you speak a little bit about that with the collaboration of kind of the services on that end?
2: Yeah, I, I think that um, there's lots of things. The theme here is about being uncomfortable and acknowledging our discomfort. And I, I think one of the things that comes across from what Sheila is saying is that So much of this is uncomfortable and and there is pain here. And the pain is about identity and about uh, meaning and about feelings of empowerment. Uh, And and we know as well that the pain is about dignities. And um, a lot of what the research tells us works for recovery is encompassed in a a lovely acronym I like to use called CHIMES from Mary Leamy's work. And chime is the five things that make it possible for us to get well, and and they're often uncomfortable things. Um, C stands for connection. You know how are we connected with each other? You know Sheila talks about the the, the, the the Sheila that's well, and then this other person that is her that also wants to not be well, and and in a way we want to connect all the Sheila, we all, 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 and ourselves with ourselves and between ourselves, and so. I sort of want to break down the barriers between service user and professional and try and talk about human beings. And it might surprise you to know that psychiatrists and people working in mental health care are stigmatized. You might might not be aware that, you know, when you tell, you go to a, a professional meeting of the, the, the college of this or the college or that, and you say, well, you're a psychiatrist, people say, oh, hmm. And you get that negativity mm-hmm. immediately. Or you can get that distance. Or they get that wonderment or that kind of, oh, that's a bit odd. Or how do you do that? All the same human stigmatic things happen at every level. And there aren't hierarchical levels in a meaningful modern sense. There's collaboration, connectedness. and Then there's hope. I think the hope comes from realizing that we are doing this kind of thing, that here we are, Abigail and Sheila and, and myself, we're, we're talking together. And you could be talking about your issues and your experience. I could be telling you about mine. But my role is actually to try and not do that. It's not about hierarchy. My role is to put my stuff away because I need to be available for you, for your stuff. Mm -hmm. My role is to make it easier for you to do the hard things you have to do. And that's the role I've taken on. But it's a really rewarding role, which is hopeful. And it fits in with my identity, as just your recovery might fit in with yours your meaning and your empowerment and those five letters are chime. what we do in modern collaboration is we try and chime together and sometimes we're off key sometimes we're not in harmony sometimes we don't chime but that's actually part of real life and it isn't something that happens to them or and not to us it's something across the board and the more we universalize the more we do what you're doing and see change, which is heightening awareness, and the more we then transfer that awareness into action, then we can chime together. Because actually these illnesses, these problems, these difficulties are the most remediable parts of healthcare. That's what really stru- I struggle with. In the, in the last few years before COVID, we were spending billions on healthcare. In the state sector, 17 billion in the last year recorded. And yet we spent less than one of those on mental health, where the biggest dividends are. And so we've had a wrong set of priorities and a wrong set of investments. And we haven't chimed. But you know, Sea Change chimes and Sheila's chiming and you're chiming. And, and we want, I want to chime because I'm also human. And recognize that that makes me connected and hopeful and it marries with an identity and meaning and it's empowering. And that's why mental health care is so wonderful to do, because you see people recover their chime. Mm
1: -hmm. I love that. And I think it's, it's very important to see things from a human level as well. Um, I mean, often, Sheila, talking about your experiences there, sometimes, maybe it's forgotten that we are all, all are humans, and we're all in the same place, all trying to get well, and it isn't just another number coming through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if, if that's always kept at the, the basis of, of everything we do, um, service user or, or, or doctor or psychiatrist or psychologist, it should mm-hmm. always be kept that you're dealing with another human i think is really important um but sheila what is something people might not know about being hospitalized with a mental health difficulty something that maybe something that you didn't know about going in or something that you experienced thinking gosh i never thought i'd be doing this in here or something like that
0: yeah i i suppose i have i have two sides to this so one is the really positive one so i'll start with that and it's that oh my god we had a laugh like (laughs) i was with seven other girls yeah we were all going through stuff yeah there's the odd one that you're like "Jesus, I can't stand her but there's there's the there's people that you just like will gel with that you think my god have I found a friend in here and you have such a laugh like if if you're kind of allow yourself to I remember we had a talent show and uh, this is one of my standard things we had a talent show in in the hospital and a lot of us were eating disorders and especially the people I was with at the time we were very self-conscious or very unsure of ourselves like I became a very indecisive person and I was always very assertive and sure of myself um I, actually we I was part of the fill which invited um uh, Professor Lucy to speak a number of times in Trinity okay. um so I was very outgoing and and very sure of myself and that went away Unfortunately, but then this talent show came up and I thought if I was out and well, what would I do? I would absolutely 100% as a drama student be in that talent show. Mm -hmm. So I said to the nurses, I want to go do that. And they were like, oh, well, Sheila, now you won't be jumping around much, will you? I said, no, I will not so I went down anyway and all the girls came and they were just delighted that someone from the ward was going to do it and sure I ran down the steps and I did a big comedy routine and did a little dance and at the end I said well I really hope that that was worth it because I'm about to be put on bed rest and, <laughs> um, and like we all just had such a laugh and afterwards yeah, yeah. the nurses half of them were like smiling and laughing and they were like you really maybe shouldn't have done that and I was like Look, I said, I've just had the most fun I've had in about four weeks ta- mm-hmm. and, and all the girls are laughing. So we did have a really, really good time. I also m- found lots of new hobbies. Like there was a pottery room and a bead room and, and bingo. I actually do bingo now up in Monaghan because I was like, lads, it's great crack. And it's just these things that you would not never have done. Putting mm-hmm. beads on a string and making jewelry, loved it. Um, but then the other side that I think that people don't know, which is uh, maybe I suppose a slightly more negative is that you sometimes, as we mentioned, just become a little bit of a number and that, um, you know, everything for me at times was about what level you were on, what BMI you were, what weight you were, what quantity of food you had um, and, and things like that. So, or there was times as well where people think you go in and you're going to come out better and you can actually come out with more behaviors or more habits or more little things like mm-hmm. when I came home and started doing things at the dinner table and my dad said you never did that before and I said I know I got it from the girls mm-hmm. and I'd be raging that I had picked these things up but so it's not always the go in magically get better and come back out you know there's there's a not, not much longer process than that
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely and i but- so glad you mentioned the bingo, because I think everyone, <laughs> if you know about the bingo, you know about the bingo. I think it's hilarious. So yeah, definitely one of the best, the best times of it. But also there's a huge amount of of, of negative side as well. Of course, it's going to be a hard time, like you're going in for a mental health difficulty. Um, a lot of it is is fun because you can finally make those jokes about your own mental illness with people who understand. There's people who understand you people who may be on the same medication you say god are you feeling like this because of that or are are you going to this therapy or did you go to that talk and you can relate to a lot of people um and then again that pressure of feeling better for going home I felt that hugely hugely when I got my discharge date I it was immediately anxiety because I just thought I'm yes I'm obviously a lot better than I was but I'm going to go home and people are going to expect me to be 110 percent better yes. a brand new person ready to take on the world and I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet
0: and and- I don't know if you found that now maybe it's just it was just a thing because obviously mine you could see my illness as well mm-hmm. but everybody go, oh my god you look great you look great and I kind of looked at them and thought I don't mm-hmm. I like like I actually don't and I'm wrecked and those past 12 weeks have worn me out like give me a break you know and you're kind of going Guys, it's, it's okay for me to not be totally back to myself yeah. yet and for you to not have to mention anything like that. Yeah, Uh, actually,
1: that was a huge thing as well, coming out of hospital and then for the weeks after being absolutely wrecked (laughs) because my dinner wasn't being made for me and I was kind of lying in bed a lot of the time and things are being done for me. Then all of a sudden I have all this independence again. It's like, oh, gosh, I'm not able for it. But there's (laughs) a lot of like it's the same if if someone went in for surgery, you know, they come back and they'd be told to rest for six weeks. And as you were saying, Sheila, when you went into hospital for your stomach, you just take it and say, okay, fine grant I'll do what it needs to take me to get better um but when it's with your mind it's just a whole different ball game but hopefully these conversations are kind of changing it but for Sheila yourself did you feel kind of stigma or shame about yourself going into hospital
0: I I was very open about it which helped me a lot um Mm -hmm because it meant that people understood why I, why I wasn't available, why I wasn't around Mm -hmm. why my life was going to be different for a little while. So um, in terms of my close friends and that that I didn't feel shame in that way or my family, because I had been, because everyone knew I was sick and was just so desperate for me to get help. Mm -hmm. But I did feel, and I still do now. And it's funny. I never know what word to use. So I'll say to people, I was in a mental hospital and I mean that I don't mean that as, a, a joke like I'm like it was a mental hospital like that's that's what it was but I don't know how to describe it and then suddenly people tense up and I'm like no it's 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 okay uh, no like I'm fine are you okay I, I'm okay yeah um, <laughs> and so I, I think but I did feel I did feel embarrassed when I was walking through and there was people on placement who were in college with me and I would see them and think oh god oh no I was your peer and now you're like you know in charge of me or um, making sure I eat my breakfast, like that feels weird. And then there was a nurse who I, I just didn't gel with and we graduated at the same time and I had to go out sick to my graduation and then go back to hospital. And then she came back to having graduated. And I remember being like, this is a very, I felt shame and embarrassment then. Mm -hmm. And it was when I met people in the hospital environment Mm -hmm. and I'm actually a patient and they're looking at me looking in this glass window at them. And I almost felt like that I was like uh, this zombie that I had envisioned beforehand. So it it came in in kind of weird ways, not in terms of like people would think it's with family or friends. But mine came from meeting people within the hospital or Mm -hmm. people that I would know in a professional uh, capacity that really made me feel a, a bit embarrassed and ashamed yeah
1: definitely and I think I would have been the same very very open about what was going on with me because then people know and you don't get all the million questions of where are you what are you doing and it's, it's just out there and you're in control of it um and I actually felt the same with some of the students on like uh doing their placements I thought oh my gosh like I just graduated a year before them you know um but then I think we have to remember the human side of it as well and thinking if you were in their shoes what would you be thinking you know um and it's, it's very much like a general hospital as well in that sense, that I don't think you would judge someone for being in for, say, getting their appendix taken out that way, you know, and I think it's a lot of self stigma we put on ourselves. It's maybe it's not necessarily happening, but it's society has put this self-stigma in our minds to think that way from movies from the tv from everything like that and we've adapted to it
0: and just Um, before you move on i i should say like while i was very open um mm -hmm. there was a number i would say actually most of the girls that i was in with and nobody would have known they were in there and i met someone and we realized we had mutual friends her first thing was don't tell him you met me here yeah so for most people there's a I don't want anyone to know I'm in here and when they used to go out at the weekends like I spent time relaxing with my family and and things like that but they went on nights out and they went to the parties and they did all of the things that they felt that they should do to be present so it's not the same for everyone and I'm lucky I felt comfortable enough but lots of people don't
1: yeah definitely and that's that's something we have to I I would think change you know I don't think it's possible to fully dedicate your time to looking after yourself if you're not dedicated to, to, to kind of not dedicated in terms that you don't want to, but just letting yourself go in that sense. Sorry, Professor Lucy, you're going to say something. Yeah. I mean, let's be uncomfortable a little bit again. I, I don't, I, I think she is
2: right. I think we have to acknowledge that people are different. In
1: mm-hmm.
2: this, And in fact, uh, you know, really, Raising awareness and mobilizing people to action, which you, you you you're able to do that, and that still is a loss, has a protection broker I, I I don't think people necessarily all have to do that or want to do that or necessarily would be good for doing that. and um, I think privacy is a really important thing. Of course, dignity comes from sometimes being able to contain. You said you'd like to be in control of things, and mm-hmm. um, and I think that's right. I think that's much more important. So. You know, I I guard people's privacy jealously, and uh, I I, I really respect people who who say, no, no, this is something I have to go through with the people I love, um, and no one else needs to know, because what I'm really saying is these are episodes of illness that can end, and recovery can happen, And, and we... We we really need to remember that. So I'm not my illness. This is not who I am. It's something that happened to me. Uh, It could happen again, but at the moment it's not happening and I'm going to do my darndest to make sure I stay well. And I think the other thing I'd like to say is that while, you know, there are many, many illnesses we see in the general hospital, you know, from diabetes to cancer, from cardiac disease to surgical problems, we don't put them all in one lump. Actually, hospital also reminds us that we mustn't put all of mental health difficulty in one Mm month. And one of the things that's very interesting, I spent many years as a neuroimager, as a brain uh, imager, scanner. And uh, it was very interesting to see the brain in pain, whether it's, you know, from back pain or enduring uh, pains from other organs, the brain in pain looks very almost identical to the brain that's depressed. Mm -hmm. same areas feel it. And we need to understand that, in a way, mental health distress is like pain. And it's, it's like, it's, like it, 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 it's impacting in a big way. So whether it's hallucination or psychosis or addiction or eating disorder or depression or mania, they're not all the one thing. Mm-hmm. They're all human. We try and care for and recover people knowing that everyone can get better. We hope everyone will. And the vast majority do. But it's not the same brush for everyone. And I think privacy is important. I think privacy is important. But those of us who can get out there and communicate the hope and communicate the the awareness need to do that so that they're listening. Because while I might be private about my prostate or private about my, 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 my lungs... Or any of my illnesses or whatever, I want to hear the hope that comes from people like yourself. Mm-hmm. So I am listening, and I think the other people who want privacy are listening to you, Abigail, yeah. and listening to you, Sheila, and they want to hear that you respect them and that you are also giving them hope. Okay, so we're all in this together. I and I think it's it's really important that we that that we allow people be who they need to be in this journey. Some definitely. of us are. Some of us are out there in the way that we are. Some won't be. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm,
1: definitely. And I think just, just to add, I think my experience was quite different because I was in hospital during COVID. So the thought of people going out to parties or stuff during the weekend is just bizarre to me. So I can I can't even imagine it. Um, yeah. So I think from my point of view, being in hospital was the only option for us and in, in that oh, side of things yeah, that's true you too. know true. you know I
2: think COVID so, ex- changed the experience for many people Absolutely. yeah
1: for a lot of people so I think 100 is it's completely important to note that each person has a different experience and each person can be as private or as public as they want to and whatever works for you in that sense of course mm is 100% your control. And um, Professor Lucy, I would love to know what kind of supports you would be able to signpost our listeners to, um, if anyone was listening out there and, and kind of felt that they needed to get in contact.
2: Well, I mean, the the, the everybody points people to websites now and uh, you know there are tremendous resources you can go on to, but I'd really encourage people to try and look at, at mainstream, not to go into the periphery, into the woodwork. But, you know, so, so, really, I do think Change is a great resource. I think things like Aware are a great resource. You know, the HSE's websites are very good. St. Patrick's and John God both have very good websites, with, all with good lists of things. And I suppose that, that's a level of IT resource that people more and more are using. We measure this. People would go online. What do people do at anything now? They immediately go online. But I'd really like us to be resources for each other as well. And if we could, I think that's the meaning of community care and the meaning recovery. Now that's very hard for people. That's why I think it is important that when Sheila's experiencing your experience that maybe we could look to talking to each other. So mm-hmm. when you look at the people who go, um, you see that people, first of all, look online, then they go to their peers. So uh, they, they go to their, their best friend or their neighbor or something. And then, and then they go to family. And I think they are going to always be the things. So as, as resources, can we be the peers and the family that you could come to? Definitely. And then I think in terms of agencies, I really, really, really do think that we need to find more and more uh, access to the, the people who can listen and care, depending on the condition. But these are so complex. So you've heard with eating disorders, I think Bodywise is a great resource. Uh, With OCD, for example, that I mentioned OCD Ireland is a great resource. I think that uh, each of these conditions, many, many, many of the 12 step groups, I'm a great lover of uh, AA, um, of of the newer forms of it, the more secular forms of it are very popular as well. And I think that people gathering together in a a non judgmental way can be found. What, What I would want people to know is that. You can go early and ask. You can sit, be there. Um, but if anybody's asking you to make to feel uncomfortable, to we talked about discomfort, you know, to I don't know, um, chew on crystals or suck on sunflower seeds or so, or do something weird, and leave that room. Don't don't go there. Come come out of that space and talk to somebody you love, and say, well, where would I really restart? And mm-hmm. um, there's a great great. St- study um uh, from 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 um uh, ucd and 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 headstrong called the one adult study and what and it's it's one good adult mm-hmm. and what we need is one good adult if we can find that one good birth, that's the support you want
1: yeah Definitely. And just to to note, that's something that Jigsaw has has really taken into the one good adult, trying Mm -hmm. to make sure that every every young person has someone that they can go to, whether that be a football coach or a neighbor or a parent or a teacher or something like that. And one good positive influence can really make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Um, But Sheila, turning to you, I would love to know what message of hope you would like to give. And those listening out there, maybe someone was kind of relate to your story or what you went through. What would you say to them?
0: that you don't have to be a revolving door patient. I was told that I would be one and I firmly have more faith in myself than that. So if you have the faith in yourself, while it might take you a number of times to get there, I am still not recovered, but life is so much better now. I have... I will not be back in hospital because my determination not to be back there and the memories sometimes of the bad things actually encourage me in my recovery. But also, I just like to say there was some extremely positive things. So Mm -hmm. I did a thing called radical openness. When I did that, I was told we don't send eating disorder patients to do this, but we don't know what to do with you. So we'll send you there. It changed my life. It Mm -hmm. is the thing that set me on my path to proper recovery, and it was the thing that wasn't meant to be for me. And so, that thing at the very, very start that uh, Professor Lucy said about take a new course thank God they made me take a course that I hadn't taken. It's like probably giving me maths or something, you know, it shouldn't have fit, but it did. And I just think that there, if you're willing. To try everything someone suggests. So, why don't you try this group? No, that didn't work for you. Why don't you try this counselor? No, we'll find someone else. Be persistent, be committed to finding something else, but also give yourself the time to do that. I'm four years in now and I still have a way to go there. COVID had little setbacks and and made me realize things that I haven't overcome yet but I am so much better and further along than I was when I went into hospital and I needed hospital at that time so don't fear it while I had bad experiences I couldn't do it by myself so I needed it and it definitely set me on the right path within the right system Um, and uh, I, I just do believe that we don't have to be somebody who's in and out like you can live a really full life even if you're in recovery Fantastic. And and Professor Lucy, do you have
1: a message of hope for our listeners out there today?
2: Yeah, I, I, I my message is hope. My message is the belief and the recognition that people get well. And uh, all I can say is that that's how we stay in, uh, if you like, the, the life of caring, mm-hmm. because we see recovery. Because we're human too. And uh, one of the, my teachers, Tony Clare, taught me that you, know, you have to ask yourself, how do you stay being a psychiatrist? Mm-hmm. How do you stay doing it? And the great, uh, the great answer turns out to be uh, the witness and the wonderment of people's recovery.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it, guys. Thank you both so much. Um, it's it's been a really, really enjoyable, interesting conversation, and it's really hit home for me as well because I only was discharged from hospital at the end of May, um, and I'm not quite ready to talk about my hospital experience so much yet yeah, but hearing you Sheila talk so openly about it and Professor Lucy your honesty and your passion for for making things better has really uh really really helped me today so I really appreciate it um for anyone listening out there and has been kind of uh touched by something that we've talked on today we're going to leave all the supports in our link below And um, but apart from that um I hope you enjoyed this conversation and please join us again next week for another uncomfortable but important conversation. Thanks guys.